0: And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
1: 18 plus. All right. What is going on, guys? Today's guest is Arnie Toman. He is Cannonball record holder, Cannonball guru, knows kind of everything about the Cannonball. He is an obscure car collector. He's owned some of the weirdest cars that you probably may not even have realized are his. He's been on VinWiki dozens of times, super well known in both the tuner and cannonball world. So we're going to kind of sit down, talk to him, and uh, learn about the cannonball. So is Cannonball Record, is it kind of dead? Is there, do you think anybody could go faster?
2: Well, the record right now is what, 20... 2539 is a 20... record, and that was done during COVID. Uh, I had no plans to go out and break it again. I had, I had broken the record in November of 19. Ed had the record, Ed Bullion, for uh, six years. We went 2725 in an E63 AMG, uh, also known as the silver passenger car. Yep. Um, and then COVID hit, and someone, a few people broke the record. Um, they broke, the, the biggest one was like by an hour. So I, my, my silver passenger car, my Mercedes got hit by a truck, so it was totaled. Um, so I had to throw together an Audi, which we disguised as a Ford Taurus police interceptor, and we were able to run uh, an hour faster than the record back then. So we we're at 2539. Is it beatable? Man, you know, here's the thing about Cannonball. The whole reason Cannonball, like, existed was to prove that good cars with good drivers could drive safely across the country without speed limits. Yeah. So, um I suppose if someone drove like an utter psychopath with no uh, regard to um you know, anyone's safety, maybe you could shave a couple minutes off of it, but uh, it it to me it's not worth it. Like it, to yeah. me to me it's unbeatable and if somebody were to do that, like it's not within the spirit of cannonball like I couldn't like morally do that.
1: So that's the other thing and there is like there realistically is a limit of how fast it can be done. Like drag racing, you know, you can keep going faster, but like a record like Cannibal, like it's pretty, like there's a, there is a there is a limit to how fast it could be done. Like maybe on your, you know, records where you could save time, I would imagine getting out of the city is a big one. Yeah.
2: Right. I mean, here's the thing. I think, I think it was Ed that came up with this, that when you get to the Red Ball Garage... In Manhattan. So it's the Cannonball, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a race that started in the 70s. Brock Yates founded it. It's uh, Manhattan to Redondo Beach. The Red Ball Garage in Manhattan to the Portofino Inn in Redondo Beach. But Ed, Ed uh, made a good explanation. It's like when you get to the Red Ball Garage, it's like just pulling a slot machine lever. It's like, what's the traffic going to be? Mm-hmm. What is the cop situation going to be? What's the weather going to be? I mean, you got you're covering 2,800 miles. Across this whole country, like I mean, you could hit a snowstorm, you could hit uh, you know a torrential downpour, a tornado, like anything can can happen. So you know, when you say can twenty five thirty nine be beat, I mean, it could be beat if you pulled the slot machine and you know it, everything went perfect. It, I think it'd still be hard to beat, but that's what you're up against right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just it's such an unfathomable amount of time to make it across the country in twenty five hours. It's it's insane to me. And some of those cars that you've set up have been so well set up. But then there's some people that have just done it like animals, like you were saying, didn't do all the setup, and then somehow do it. But I guess where, where records would start to be fun again is the micro records, which is weird to say because right. we usually make fun of micro records at right. drag racing. But in Canada, Cannonball, the micro records are kind of what will be fun.
2: Yeah, you know, at this point, that's, that's kind of where it's at. And, you know, like I, get, like I said, there's a 50-year, like, perfect track record of safety. Like, no one no one's outside the event's been harmed. Uh, there was one accident in 72. I think uh, three women in a, a limousine. The, they were sponsored by the Wright Bra Company. I mean, they had no, they had no business being out there, you know. It was like, yeah. but, uh, yeah, they felt one fell asleep. And they went into a ditch, and a lady broke her arm. Like that, this is the extent of mm-hmm. of you know anything that's bad that's happened. And in a limo too; those
1: things are built pretty shady. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Exactly. So <laughs> you know, you can't. You have to have this the safety track record. Like that's what I tell everybody about Cannonball. It's not like the Dukes of Hazard or Knight Rider. You're, they, uh, no one's driving on the shoulder, passing people. Like that. That doesn't exist. You know, mm-hmm. it's not. It's not like a movie.
1: Yeah. Do you find that it was weird that, you know, there was such like a media like impressiveness when it first kind of happened. And now like when VinWiki originally did it, now it doesn't seem like it kind of gets that same press. I feel like it's a little more looked down. No. Like, cause wasn't he on like good morning America and stuff oh, like sure, that? sure. Yeah,
2: no, he was on a lot of stuff. I was on a lot of stuff in 2019. I, I did this for myself. That's yeah. I was turning down interviews in 2019. Breaking the cannonball record that stood for six years was huge news. Like I could I was on Inside Edition, CBS this morning, maybe something else. But there were more people calling and like I just turned them down. Yeah. Because I just I didn't want that that much press. Like I didn't care about that. But I think where you see now where it's getting demonized and everything is after covid when you know heightened, you know, state of emergency, like people are just on on the edge anyway. So they're just like you know, in today's society, everyone's looking to be, uh, you know, mad about something. Yeah. The way things are going, you know, it's like... And it's definitely an
1: easy target in a way. Yeah. From the outside to I, hear about, you know, yeah. your average moving speed and stuff like that. Sure. When you hear numbers like that, the uh, yeah. the hot button
2: numbers, it could
1: definitely scare a lot For of people. For the most part,
2: like, everyone I've met, even police, they're like, they understand I'm not the problem. They're yeah. like, we... like. Who would you rather have like flying down the road? Somebody going seventy miles an hour looking at Facebook or or someone coming at a hundred thirty, you know, no radio, his co drivers on binoculars, like just reporting what's ahead. You know, like who who do you feel safer with on the road? I, hey,
1: I'm I agree with Distracted you. I think, driving I think is the you're problem. definitely the uh the safer one versus what, you know, yeah, somebody it's might like. Be, I'm
2: actually driving.
1: The nineteen ninety nine Nissan Ultima on four spare tires. <laughs> like you're definitely in the safe spot and what car do you think was a better move, the silver passenger car or the... The fraud Taurus? The, yeah, because the, that's tough because, you know, people slow down when they probably see the fraud Taurus.
2: Yeah, you know... But people
1: don't, like, they might not move out of the way and...
2: Yeah, I mean, really, I think the, the fraud Taurus is not as good of a car, 100%. I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot slower. The brakes aren't as good. The handling mm-hmm. isn't as good. But you're not comparing apples to apples. An E63 AMG is more comparable to, like, an RS7, not an, not an S6. Yeah. So, I mean, it is what it is. Still a good car, but it's, it's definitely... What was better for, for the, the Cannonball, though? What well, kind of made the better... So, people getting out of the way of the Fraud Taurus really isn't a thing. Like, I, I love old police cars. Like, I've got them all... Like, it's, like, it's a mixed bag. It's, like, where it helps you, the other half is it hurts you. Because, like, well, yes yeah, some people get out of the way. But then other people just freeze and drive the speed limit and yeah. get in your way. So I don't know. Maybe maybe it has a slight advantage, but I think the biggest advantage that the the front tourist had was as it went past, people thought I was a cop. So they wouldn't call in. Because that's one of the big problems is, you know, you go you, you pass enough people at a high rate of speed. You know, and I don't pass people 180 miles an hour. Like I, yeah. I slow down when I pass people, you know, to a,
1: a reasonable that's yeah. funny enough in itself because, like, I've been passed by cars going fast and I've never once thought, let me report this. But you're not a Karen. You're a car no, you're a just, car person.
2: And it's like, you I can't you even ever, picture that, though. I, well, I think you, you and I and like people like in Germany, they have a respect for driving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they know. Have you ever driven on the Autobahn?
1: No, I've never oh, gone it, too. It's,
2: it's the worst experience because it's so good. Like, everyone gets out of your way, it's unbelievable. But then it makes it that much worse when you come here because everyone's just like I'm. I'm an American. I oh, I can drive the speed limit. You're. If I drive the speed limit, I'm. I can drive in the left lane. Like yeah. But but statistics all show that the slow people in the left lane actually cause more accidents because then you pass on the right, and passing on the right is dangerous in itself. Well, Florida gets really bad because
1: we have a lot of snowbirds. You know, there's a oh, lot geez. of like. Yeah. You can tell when you're driving around the people that don't have the Florida plates. It's very easy to tell that. You know, some some of these people are older people that are just here for a couple months and they're just putzing around, they don't know where they're going. It's it gets very (laughs) scary (laughs) sometimes. It gets pretty scary. So with the record stuff, could a different alternative thing kind of rejuvenate things? Like if you were like, Oh, we're gonna do, you know, Florida to somewhere like people have tried that.
2: I know there's a couple. There's a, so there's a couple things. So actually, I, I hold another record. I guess they call it the Southern Trail record or the transcontinental record. It's the shortest distance between Atlantic and Pacific, and that's Jacksonville to San Diego. I did that on Christmas Day 2018 to test out my E63, my, my Cannonball record E63. Mm-hmm. We wanted to just test it out and see how it would do. And it was this low-hanging fruit, the, you know, in the Cannonball world. It's it's this, you know. Wait, tran- so you did
1: that on Christmas Day? I, yeah, in twenty. You have a wife and kids?
2: Yes, I do. It was very, very tolerant. <laughs> wow,
1: that's a lot of tolerance. Yeah, that was that was a big ask. That does sound like it. Yeah,
2: so so we went out to test the car, and actually we did it in twenty four hours flat. It's twenty three hundred sixty five miles. Mm-hmm. We got pulled over three times. Um, Doug got a ticket on the Panhandle of Florida for one seventeen allegedly in a seventy. And then, like, he gets the ticket. And surprisingly, the cop didn't, like, you know, really read us the riot act. But uh, so he gets a ticket. Um, Ten miles down the road, we switch. I get in the car, and I average 100-something miles an hour to uh, where we're going to switch again. So Doug gets back in the driver's seat, mm-hmm. proceeds to get a 116 and a 75. That's <laughs> So some states so, are pretty bad about getting tickets like yeah, that. Yeah, so too. it was Florida and Texas and then we got pulled over again in Texas but got, got off with a warning. But we still did it in twenty four hours flat. So but again, like that didn't pick up much traction, like that story, because it's mm-hmm. not cannonball. Yeah.
1: And it's kind of just nothing. It's just yes. like you just like it's not based off the movie or anything like exciting like that, but it's cool to a car guy, but cannonball is a mainstream cool.
2: Right, exactly. So, and then someone's tried to go Maine to Key West, and then Alex Roy tried to set. Well, he did set the record from Key West to like, whatever, whatever the far Seattle or something up in the in the Northwest. Mm -hmm. And it's like no, nobody really cared. Um, There, there is a guy doing a a run. It's like it's a bandit run. It's from Atlanta to Texarkana and back um, for old cars. It's more of like. Hey, I'm I'm the bandit, you know, like you know, yeah. It, it's kind of like that. So it's there's rules for old cars. There's a lot of rules to like keep it slowed down, and it, it, that's more just a fun thing. That's sort of picking up steam, but that's not like a. It's like a race. Yeah, not a, it's, you know, it's not, not a
1: cannonball. It's not a race like that. And yes, but like doing it with the like the micro records, I kind of like like you know best gas mileage or. You yeah. know, diesel so there's, truck.
2: There is a there's a bit of solo that, you know, things like that. Yeah. Kind
1: of make it a little interesting, right? No, there, solo yeah, can be have, scary.
2: People have taken. Yeah, so yeah, people have done solo. They've done nonstop. Like someone just did it in a Prius. Um, he, he had, geez, how much gas he had? He had uh, hundred and fifteen gallons of gas or something. And This guy's a machine. Yeah, and yeah, he he just did that. I think it's thirty four hours and change or whatever nonstop. No, then, no, no, no fuel, nothing. And then the EV, you can try. Yeah, on no, EV. yeah, you got, you got EV. Um, someone has a, you know, claimed a diesel record.
0: Have you ever had to return a forgotten bag of adult play toys to a pair of sweet old grandparents, or have you spent your summer cleaning up protein spills at an amusement park? How about going to work every day in a flea-infested casino? Hopefully, you haven't, but our guests have. Welcome to the Insiders Podcast. Each episode, we bring you an explicit account from a hotel and hospitality industry insider. To listen to these stories and more, go to Insiders.com to subscribe. That's theinsiders, Insiders, dot com.
1: Yeah, the diesel record to me seems interesting because you can have a truck with a huge fuel capacity and they get pretty good gas mileage if you're kind of tweaking on it, right. like really tune it up. I would imagine California doesn't like when you get into their state very much with a modified car, but that's a whole different thing. (laughs) Yeah, well, we're in, we're out, you know. Yeah, quickly
2: in and out. Yeah, so I I think, so then you talk about other records is, um, you got a competitive record because back in the 70s, they used to run these races, you know, with multiple cars. Mm -hmm. Like when I go out and I ran 27.25 and 25.39, it's not an event. Like, this is just me against the clock, you know. Yeah. Someone could be leaving the Red Ball Garage right now and, you know, and set the record. There's no no actual race. But in the past, like, since, like, 07 was, I think, the first, like, group of cars that went. And that was called the 2904. It was basically the 24 hours of lemons meets the cannonball. You had to race across the country for $2,904. Oh. So... Yeah. It was like a group that, of guys like, yeah, trying so, to do it. Yeah, so it was, that, that was the first, like, big group, and that, and that got faster and faster. And actually, I, I won the very last one in 2017. We did a, a Ford Crown Victoria with a 55-gallon fuel cell in the back. I did some plywood aerodynamic modifications. I did splitter front and rear and all that. And we averaged 92 miles an hour from uh, New York to San Francisco because the 2904 generally went to San Francisco mainly because the organizer hates L.A., and he lived in San Francisco, mm-hmm. so that's the the distance between uh, the two is twenty nine hundred four miles. That's so it was a dollar like basically racing across country yeah. f- for a dollar a mile. So yeah, so we went thirty one forty five, and uh, so we're the we're the fastest in a competitive event and that was done in a, in a five hundred dollar Crown Vic. You got to love Crown Vics; they never die. Oh uh, yeah, it's like I am not a Ford guy, but I mad respect I, Crown Vics don't die. I flogged that same car in twenty fifteen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Came in third place, went 33 hours, and then, uh, you know, won the event in 2017. You know, same car. Like, you can't deny, like, it's not that fast. No. No, it's not that quick. But over, like... It'll sustain the speed, and it'll do do it effortlessly. With the torque converter locked, the car would do 130. So we spent most of our time about 130. Wide open on the flat, 140. And then downhill from Salt Lake City, we hit 147? in a t- in a stock crown vic it's
1: it's also weird because you've been across the country but you really didn't see any of it no. going across the country you just you did it multiple yes, times yeah, it's but like, like 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 tunnel vision. like oh what'd you see when you were in nebraska like nothing yes. just drove right through no, it. if you
2: drove if you drove through nebraska at 55 miles an hour you still see nothing yeah there's
1: nothing to see there anyways <laughs> is there also a you know competitive spirit about how much technology you use because you know you can go really overboard, Some, yeah. Well, while you go against the guilt, spirit of the event. Is guilty, the guilty as
2: charge going yeah. overboard on police countermeasures. However, for the twenty nine zero four, you had to you had to account for police countermeasures in there. So I bought a used radar detector. I bought a CB radio from a garage sale for twenty dollars. Like I mean, yeah, it's yeah, so, true. So, as so your was,
1: tech gets better, yeah. so does theirs. So
2: it kind of works, right? So so that so that twenty nine zero four race, there were limits. Then there's another race called the C2C Express, which was for old cars. You had to buy the car for like $3,000, but like the sky was the limit on what you put into it. So um, I've done those two. Me, me and Ed Bullion actually did it in my Bluesmobile, so I've got a Bluesmobile with a 5.3 mm-hmm. LS that I put in it. And
1: uh, Oh, yeah, I think... Yeah. Um, so we did that
2: dressed as the Blues Brothers. My buddy
1: Sloppy Mechanics has done some tweaking he, on that.
2: Yes, he, he was the one they originally swapped it, yeah.
1: Oh, all right, yeah, I was just talking to him. He's, he's awesome. Trying to get
2: him down here. <laughs> yeah, no. What's funny is I uh, on the way down here, I was talking to him uh, through text message, and Matt I'm like, Hoople. You know, I'm like, you know, like you got to go down to do Cooper's podcast. So I hear he asked me. I'm like, all right, all right. Yeah, because
1: we talk every now and then, and I know yeah. he was listening to it because he was he was talking about it with me. But so the Blues Brothers car—that's um—that's a little before my time. I know the car only because of the replications.
2: Right. I don't know any of like
1: <laughs> so <laughs> the prior stuff about it, but you've had quite a few movie cars.
2: Yes, no, I love movie cars. You know, I grew up in the 80s, so mm-hmm. like that was when like the, the cars were the star of the show, you know. You had Knight Rider, you had uh, the General Lee from the Dukes of Hazzard, you had the A-Team van. Like these were like these were like my idols. So yeah. I've I've had I haven't had a General Lee, but I've had a Smoking the Bandit Trans Am, a couple of them. Um, I had an eight, I actually with, when I was with AMS performance, I turned our shop van into the AMS team van yep. and, uh, I debuted it. I, I actually shaved my head into a mohawk. So I was a skinny white Mr. T that, that makes sense. I mean, that <laughs> it adds up. So I also like costumes. Yeah. And then, so
1: with me, with movie cars, the only one I've really ever wanted to build, you know, I've driven the mystery machine a lot. I used to drive that car and then. I want to do an Ecto-1 really bad at some point, the okay, Ghostbusters yeah, no, that's cars. A, that's a cool
2: one. If you do, like, a real one, they're so expensive and so hard to come by.
1: Mm-hmm. I've seen, like, one or two only. Like yeah, so it's I, like
2: a 59 or 60 Eureka ambulance conversion. I mean, it's it's very specific.
1: Well, even you've had a Hurst that you have went really fast in, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. I've got uh twin turbo Turf. LS... Hearse, you know, and yeah. yeah, we went nine fifty at one hundred and forty seven, and it is a, it is. What's a what's the th- reason
1: behind a hearse?
2: <laughs> so, okay, so 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 the go, yeah. We switch gears onto that. So, yeah, I had always wanted to hold the world record, and this was like oh six oh seven, and at the time I mentioned AMS Performance. So, I'm the co-founder of AMS Performance. If you don't know there we did Mitsubishi Evos and DSMs and Nissan GTRs and all this stuff. So. Through growing that company, we all, like, our, our secret to success was always, like, take a new platform, be the fastest, mm-hmm. and then just always be pushing and pushing and just always be the fastest. So that was, that was our thing. And I, I would tell people, you know, like, there aren't car people, whatever, and be like, oh, yeah, you know, we have the fastest uh, Mitsubishi Evo in the world. And they're just like, cool. Yeah. If I told that to you, you'd be like, whoa, you know, like, what well, was done yeah. to it Like that. So I'm like, I want to hold a record that I could tell anybody and be like, I have this world record. And it was between a limo and a hearse. I'm a big Iron Maiden fan, so I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do a hearse, and I'm going to do it in like an Iron Maiden theme, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break the record for the world's fastest hearse. And at the time, it was like mid-13s or something ridiculous. While I was building it, it dropped down into the 11s, and uh, I, was, I, I, I beat it handily. I mean, the car... Yeah, I don't think the guy that
1: was close to you... Was really thinking, oh, maybe I'll get this back after you, right? Put I mean, a it's, second and a half on him.
2: Yes, exactly. So I, I just continue to go faster and faster with it. But it is a full functioning hearse. Like it, I've got a casket in the back. It's got the rollers in the back. Weighs five thousand pounds. But and that
1: car still exists, and you still. Have it yeah, I still, still have it, so
2: it was, it was just out with Matt from Sloppy Mechanics. He switched everything over to Holley, because I built the car in, like, 08, 09. Yeah. so it was running a factory ECU. I had a, a standalone boost gauge. I had a standalone, uh, you know, two-step. Like, it, it, everything was, like, not functioning together. Well, even just
1: in general at that time to go that fast was surprising, I feel like, and then also to do it with a Hurst is even more surprising, because yeah. that, was, that was pretty fast, that that
2: was fast and what's funny about that is i did an i went 99 at 138 or something on a stock ls motor okay and i remember like we would talk to ls tuners they'd like how much how much boost do you run and we're like oh i got 22 3 4 pounds. they're like you're you're insane we didn't know any better yeah like we're like we're like, I, what do you mean? DSM like we mean PSM guys yeah we run 4g 63s to like 30 like we we, we thought this v8 yeah. could handle it and and it did it never blew up and I ended up finally putting rods and pistons in it just because everyone's like, you're nuts, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I really wanted to get that 9.9. So I did get the 9.9. Then I, I put, um, you know, upgraded internals. We took it to the track once and ran 9.50. And then I started cannonballing. And I haven't been on a drag trip since. Like, Really? That's the, it's been that's that long? The pro- that's the problem. When, like, once you do cannonball, it's like the ultimate thing to do in a car and, like, the ultimate, like, adrenaline-type thing. Like, I don't care about road racing. I don't care about drag racing. Like, it's, like, it's... It's like bad because like, I can't go back and find enjoyment in this stuff anymore.
1: Yeah. Ever since I kind of heard about, I I heard about Cannonball from Ed from watching his stuff. And I was just like blown away by this. I was like, it's just the ultimate, like ultimate test of everything has to work right for that amount of time. I'm just like, there's so many things that could go wrong when you're 10 hours in 11 hours in. And that to me, is just like the ultimate level of like, You're kind of riding the adrenaline the whole time, but you probably also have massive worry and anxiety doing it because, you know, there's just any little thing, a pop tire, anything could just ruin it. The smallest thing. And that's crazy to me to to kind of pull something together like that, because, you know, drag racing, if it doesn't work in that seven second pass, you know, I pull back around and try again. Right. It's instant.
2: Right that yeah no it's 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 I've always liked like long distance and like planning things and, like so for me in that and also like the can like a lot of people are like oh I want to do a cannonball one day am absolutely like if you're a car person it is the ultimate thing to do in a car just go out and do it yeah like you don't have to go try to break a record or you know spend all your money trying to do it just go do it like i think at this point if anyone wanted to break the record you should at least like go do it a couple times at a slower speed and like realize what you're up against because i think that's one of the biggest things that helped me is because i've done eight runs Mm -hmm. and you know Every time I learn something new, like even on 2539, there's just like things that popped up that never did before. And there's no such thing as a perfect run. Yeah. It just doesn't. I've gotten really lucky with some really close to perfect runs, but it's still, there's always been some, some big problems.
1: So maybe, maybe there's an hour to be gained on a perfect run. Maybe. I don't. Minutes. I think, like, are we talking I like think that, how much, how, how different is your best run to perfect? Like time-wise
2: what are we talking there? I think that there maybe is fifteen minutes.
1: Fifteen. So you're maybe, your maybe run.
2: if somebody like got so lucky, like everything worked perfect, and they just drove so fast, and everything worked perfectly. Maybe they, maybe you can kiss twenty four hours. Maybe
1: to to think of your margin of error though in that amount of time of only being fifteen minutes is huge. But here
2: here's the thing: like both both my record runs, there was no precipitation at all. That is rare Yeah, to cross the whole country with no precipitation at all. Yeah, so you have to take season
1: into account very heavily. Yeah. And there's the three routes you can take, right? You can go north, middle, or south, right? Yeah, I mean,
2: it's really north or south. There is like a hybrid where you take the south at first, and then in St. Louis you cross over to Denver and mm-hmm. then jump on the what's the northern route. But no, I don't think anyone's ever gone that fast or even really tried it. But it is technically out there, but it's longer. Mm-hmm.
1: And then having the spotters, like people like Kyle Loftus, was a big part of it.
2: Oh yeah, Kyle, Kyle was awesome. And Kyle hooked me up with a, a few people across the state of Nebraska that have spotted. From, like I've never even met them. Like, and he just he hooked me up with a, a few of his buddies because when when we were doing the run in 2019, I, I knew Nebraska is a huge state and it's a tough state because they uh, they patrol with speed pretty heavily. So I called Kyle, you know, he was my only person that I knew there. And man, he hooked me up with a number of people. Like I had the whole state covered and these guys would just go out. And one guy, I think Joe Roach has, has gone out three times for me. Like, I mean, I never even met the guy. Yeah, like, you know, it's like, he, loves it. he just, you know, he, he took his wife with him and like, yeah, he covered like hundreds of miles for me. He's got a part in history though. Like, it's yeah, no, it, great. It, it, yeah. It, people are... People are very willing to help. Like Matt Happel, he's he's spotted for me. I think on, I think every every run since 2017.
1: Oh, really? So so he's also done a significant little portions of them as well. Yeah, and
2: he, and he's hooked me hooked me up with a couple of his buddies. You know, to cover things because that's really helpful. Is having these scouts. Ahead, you know, not only just for safety, just like knowing if there's police up there. Yeah. Just having that confidence of knowing that someone's up ahead of you and you're not like out there alone is a big big confidence booster.
1: I know I've heard, like, a little bit of talk about, like, oh, if you have, you know, like, air support and, like, people talking crazy concepts of that, which does sound fun to, like, theorize about, like, the perfect, you know, you're using... Space yeah. Link or something, like well, Starlink like, like out Ed's, there.
2: I think Ed once said, like, yeah, we should use a Predator drone, you know? like <laughs> Yeah, but there's now
1: pretty attainable things yeah. that you could use to spot pretty far ahead of you. Yeah. If you have somebody in there on the controls, you know, I you can have some good drones and stuff.
2: Yeah, I think the the best thing you can have is a scout. Like, there, someone has used plane. It's been used twice. 1983, the last U.S. Express. So the U.S. Express was, the last cannonball was 1979. They canceled it because it was just getting too big. It was like, I mean, like CNN is trying to come to the, you know, to the start. I mean, it was like a big, like, it was like a circus. It was yeah. not so, so Brock Gates canceled it. So all the really serious people went underground and they started like changing. It was generally the same distance, but they started changing locations where they start. They ran that in the mid 80s. So last one was 1983, and the guy, uh, the guys who won that, they ran 32 hours, seven minutes. That was the record for 23 years or something. They used a spotter plane. They had a red Ferrari 308, and in the middle of the country, they had a buddy up in an airplane. So that ran, ran ahead of them and called out police. And then in 06, when Alex Roy broke the record, he's kind of the guy who like started the whole cannonball thing again. Yeah, I feel like his name is very synonymous with. Yeah. So, so he's like, kind of like brought it back to life. Um, And then uh, he had the record for six, seven years and then Ed broke it. And then me, but um, he had an airplane, but yeah, he spent, he spent a lot of money, but he was up against, he, nobody knew, like for all he knew, like the FBI was going to show up at, at the Portofino. He didn't even end at the Portofino. He went to Santa Monica, which is a little farther, just because he, like, we just he didn't He was just scared about end, what was going to happen. We didn't know, because you heard stories, like, in the 80s. They, they had talked about running more, like, U.S. Express-type events, but, like, the FBI would find out about it, and, like... They would start cracking down on it. So what's right. at the
1: start of the cannonball? Because I know it starts in a very specific place in New York. What- yeah,
2: it's the Red Ball Garage in Manhattan, and that's where Brock Yates, uh, Brock Yates was a an editor for Car and Driver. Mm-hmm. And Car and Driver stored their cars at this garage. So when he decided to like put on this race, um, he was a big, it's and it actually sense. wasn't, yeah. it wasn't against, it originally wasn't against the 55 mile an hour speed limit because the 55 mile an hour speed limit didn't happen until like 73. It was really, um, he was a big proponent of um, government overreach. You know he thought the government had too much you know it was a little bit about speed, but his main thing was just like the government's got too much control mm-hmm. we, we don't need that you know the world works better with less, with less government than you know, so that's so that's how it actually started so but that's why it starts at the red ball is because. He's just like, well, I gotta pick a spot to start. Like, well, our cars are here. Let's, yeah. Let's just what goes
1: on there now? Is it still it's a just, shop? Is it, it, it no, just like it's,
2: a. It's a parking garage.
1: So it's just a parking garage? It's now? just a
2: parking garage. But now, you know, now that Cannonball is like, since, you know, since I probably broke the record in 2019, it's become like a really big deal. Like, so you got, if. If car people are in New York, they like go and take pictures there and yeah. and obviously there's been a lot of people trying to break the record also. So it's like a lot of cars go there and
1: So you may show up there one day and all of a sudden you see somebody there again ready to go.
2: Yeah, I think oh, there was a, some some guys recently that just made the the coast to coast to coast. So they raced they raced the cannonball and then raced back. So that's like that's another one of these micro record things that's happened. Yeah. So that's like sixty five uh, and a half hours or something is the record now. Oh man. But they I think they were there, and they saw they like they pulled up, and there were people like taking pictures there. Like I mean, it's like one of these like ho- it's like holy ground, I guess you know for car people. So. Yeah,
1: and it's weird too because you got to keep it underground until you're done. Yes, it, like at least close to done or like you know wrapping up your last few minutes of it.
2: Yeah, no, it, I mean that's the best. When Alex Roy did it, he he didn't t- he had people sign NDAs. He didn't release it for a year. Because the statute of limitations in most states is a year. Mm-hmm. So, like, after that, you're pretty clear. There are some states that it's, like, three years.
1: He sounds like he was just a little scared of, like, all of it. Like, his he, ending point, his, you know, long way, At the time, but he out.
2: really didn't know. Like, I could see where he was coming from. Like, back then. Like, now it's like, well, so many people have done it, and no one's, yeah. no one's cared. It's been on the news. Like, you know, it's just like, whatever. It's like a feel-good story. At this but
1: even point. if, like, somebody was, like, trying to prove that you did it, it would be tough, too. Well, it's, if, it's if not, it does come out and the government tries to prove that you did it, you know, they I suppose, you could kind of deny that a little bit. You're just yes, like, you just say, no, could. it didn't happen. It was, so it was I, a lie. I've talked
2: to prosecuting attorneys. Uh, I've got friends that are like high up in some county sheriffs and like institutions and stuff. And they're like, look, my one friend, especially in the San Bernardino County area, he's like, I have 80 unsolved traffic deaths. He goes, do you think I'm going to come after you, mm-hmm. who just says he went fast across my county? Like, could I? Could I? I I mean, I suppose. But here's the thing. Every prosecuting attorney says we need to know who is driving, where, and how fast, and when.
0: Are you a car enthusiast looking for an exciting new podcast to listen to? Check out the Test Drive podcast hosted by Leap O'Donnell. This podcast is packed with discussions about some of the most iconic vehicles in automotive history and inside knowledge from behind the scenes. From the Mustang to the Camaro, we cover it all. So buckle up and enjoy the ride. Listen to Test Drive on your favorite podcast app today.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: How are you going to come up with that?
1: Yeah. And do you... Not to incriminate you. Do you have a, a video of like start to finish, like dash cams and stuff, just because, like, you know, out of yeah, security there, and safety?
2: Oh, sure. No, the, exactly. So
1: I wouldn't post it, so,
2: but like out of just, yeah. you know. So, I mean, here, so a lot of people, this is a common question. It's like, how do you prove it? How do we know you did it? Mm-hmm. Well, um, technology is pretty good these days. So, if someone was going to try to break the cannibal record, the, the, the first thing they do is you get a whole, Ed is like the unofficial official of, Of cannonball so yeah either get a hold of him me there's like we have like a council of like eight to ten people that we really trust so like when we find out someone's gonna make a run we instruct them like look use a GPS tracking uh, app it's called glimpse is what we have used before and you send us the link and we'll watch you leave Manhattan Mm -hmm. and then Across the country, we'll keep, we'll keep a spreadsheet. You know, so there's like 10 people watching it. But, like, okay, oh, okay, he got to the Pennsylvania border at this time. Okay, I saw it happen. Um, and then you got um, metadata and pictures. So, yep. you know, you got uh, time and Take location, your start and, and location photo. stamp. Um, gas receipts can be used. You can have unbroken uh, video footage. And actually, in 2019, when we made the run, we had a, we had a private live feed. Which turned, which was funny, because we were, like, watching... That's pretty good. There was, that's like, 100-some like people watching it. Like, yeah. But his problem is, I told my friends, like my close friends, and my, my wife and stuff, I'm like, look, here's the link so you can see where we are and just know yep. that we're safe and watch along, and I'm like, don't share it with anybody. Man, that went out the window. Because we're, like, looking, there's, like, like over 100 people watching <laughs> a live feed. So I don't know if that's the best idea. Um, I mean, it's but pretty it definitely, good. It and definitely, it definitely can... offers proof. Yeah. Yeah, but then you got scouts, too. Like, all your scouts, like, you know, if I I had, like, 30 scouts out there, like, I passed 30 people. Like, I mean, it's hard to deny when you've got 30 eyewitness accounts and and everything. Yeah, it's
1: tough. I mean, I guess if one was super outlandish record, you know, people would go back and really trace back things, put it in the spreadsheet, like you said. But, you know, somebody's just claiming something similarly fast as you, it's probably not, like probably not worth
2: really vetting them right no exactly i mean and there there has recently been a problem where some evidence was faked and that's, that's a whole other thing I don't, I don't even want to touch that with a 10-foot pole um mm. not my place but uh but yeah so if you were there's a lot of ways you can prove it and that is very important especially uh as of like in the last year or something like if somebody's going to do it, like, you better have proof because, like, yeah. why do it at that point? You know, it's just... It's yeah, really I'm sure there's the
1: that guy point. that's like, oh, I just, you know, ran it. I didn't have a GPS, like...
2: Right, exactly. Like, like, well, like, why I mean, not? I had, I had a third-party GPS tracker, you know, just like, like like if you had a trucking company and you wanted mm-hmm. to keep track of your truck, like, so it's like a third-party, like, you know, so there's, like, layers. Like, every basically, everybody from Alex to Ed to me, like, everyone's, like, raised the bar as far as, like, yeah. Each person has another layer of, of evidence, you know, to prove it. Because it's easier now. Yep. Like I mean, back when Alex did it in 06, like, you didn't have, you know, data stamp pictures, you know, like, that just didn't exist. Probably so many dead spots
1: and GPS and stuff, too. Right, you didn't have apps. Yeah. I mean,
2: it's it's hard to it's hard to think about a even world the cars, without cars,
1: Even the cars know now. Like, yes, I'm sure the you know, Mercedes exactly. knew exactly what it was right. doing. That was probably one of the tough parts. You have to get past OnStar being worried that you just—I don't even know—you're in an airplane traveling or something because like the OnStars do weird stuff when you like right, even yeah. crash. I know they've called OnStar or, like yep. I've seen somebody sixty foot really hard at the track and yep. OnStar comes on and they're <laughs> Are like, "Are you okay?" Yeah, they're like, "What happened?" Like, like and it's like, crazy that I'll they talk know to you. That.
2: I'll talk to you in seven seconds.
1: Yeah, mid pass down the track, <laughs> OnStar is calling you. So AMS Performance. So you're a founder of AMS.
2: Yeah. So me and me and my childhood buddy Martin.
1: Started that in 01. Mm-hmm. And Martin still is... Yeah, so
2: I sold my shares in 2017 to him um, shortly after. So we had a machine shop also. So basically in, in a year's time, I sold him my shares of AMS and I bought his shares of our CNC machine shop.
1: Okay, so you were able to kind of just, you know, get him out of what he didn't want to deal with and you out of what you were right, kind of done. Yeah.
2: I, I had kind of a... It was an interesting time in my life. Um, I had my... Elderly aunt who I was caring for, like, she was going downhill. My dad's health was going downhill. Um, we sort of didn't, like, weren't seeing eye-to-eye eye in the business anymore. Like, we were together for 15 years. I'd say 14 of them were just perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, he's, he had a different vision of it. And, and his par- as partnerships go, I mean, it was a really good run. But the writing was on the wall. He wanted to go one way. I wanted to go another. And honestly, with the EPA coming in and, like, busting down doors and all this stuff, like, Kind of didn't want to like have all my eggs in the automotive aftermarket. Yeah, modifying cars. Modifying, yeah, seen very well. No, I don't like. What's the future of it? Mm -hmm. You know, and it like it kills me to like sort of step away, and I've sort of gotten back into it. I've got I have a shop where I specialize in McLarens now, called Cannonball Garage. But I'm not. I don't manufacture performance parts, and I do a lot of repair service and that that kind of stuff. What
1: McLaren won't do because they're probably not really. Well, there's Dealing not that many. Stuff.
2: There's not that many dealers. Yeah. First of all, and then they're very specialized cars. That uh, I mean, with other cars like Lamborghini, Audi R8 stuff like you can buy some like knockoff like diagnostic tools. Like McLaren, that doesn't exist. So unless you come in with like a big, you gotta jump in head first. So yeah. I did. I bought a McLaren diagnostic tool. I bought their bleeding machine. It's like, you spend $100,000 on all the part, uh, tools you need and stuff, then you can work on McLarens. But, like, who's going to do that?
1: Yeah, so that, that's cool, though, because it puts you in a spot where, you know, the tire shop up the street isn't just going to suddenly undercut you.
2: Right, so I'm like, as far as I know, I'm really, like, the only shop in the country that specializes in McLarens. So mm-hmm. There are people that work on them and can work on them, but I'm the only one that's just, like, my shop is full of them. Like yeah. I, I'd say, it's at this point, it means eighty-five percent of our business, maybe ninety. I Do a couple of Nissan GTRs, just because of I don't really advertise that, but you know I do a little bit of them.
1: So speaking of the GTR, was that what kind of blew up AMS Performance? No, it was the Evo. It was the Evo. Yeah. Because I I first started getting into cars when the GTR was starting to kind of become a thing. Oh geez, the GTR was like
2: the talk of the town for like five years. It was like. The only thing anyone talked about. Yeah. Like that, man, that, those were the days. But it, I, like the, I like the Evo days, too.
1: The Evos are awesome. Like, the 8s and 9s. The 10s get a little...
2: Yeah, no, the 10s ten, the really not an Evo.
1: Yeah, that's thing. It's a good car. Thing.
2: And like, I like the car, but it's just not an Evo. No, it's nothing compared to the
1: 8s and the 9s. Yeah, no, the 8s and 9s are cool. It's a weird thing, too, because there's not that many Evos, 8s, and 9s in the U.S.
2: No, there was, like, a... Twelve thousand.
1: So to have a shop that was like known for Evos is tough. But then you go to GTRs, and they all all the GTR owners have a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. All of them can easily modify their cars yeah. now. So that seems like the market to really.
2: Yeah. No. I mean, the so we started out with DSMs because the Evo didn't exist here. Mm-hmm. We started out in two thousand one, and uh, we started out like a month before the Fast and Furious came out. So I mean, we we like. We rode the import scene, the wave of that whole thing. I mean, I rode the whole thing. Man, what a time to be alive. But yeah. what really took off was when the Evo came. Because, you know, we're dealing with, you know, DSMs are older cars. And it's like, you know, people have, you know, really small budgets. And the cars are all haggard and everything else. And the Evo is like, fresh. Like, that was our first chance to, like, really, like, prove ourselves. And that's how, that's how we decided, like, be the fastest, and just continue to push the limits and i mean we we held the record for fastest evo for years and years and years i mean we maybe we lost it once or twice here and there but we were just always pushing the boundaries but um evos and gtrs we got really lucky cuz they lend themselves to modifications so easily because they're such good platforms mm-hmm. and i mean try to find a stock evo or a stock gtr i mean everybody modifies these cars
1: yep it's like the true tuner thing and then you know, nobody really got the R thirty fours or R thirty threes or right. twos. No exactly. I mean we're just starting
2: to be able to get them in the last few years legally. Yeah. At, at least. And
1: even those, once we started to get them, they went up a hundred thousand dollars right away.
2: Right, exactly. So that was that was great. Um we that's I think that's ultimately what the success of AMS was. It's just we like we struck on two models of cars that just everybody modified. Mm-hmm. And we you know, the writing was on the wall it was like 2011, 2012. We're like, we got to find the next GTR. Like, this isn't going to last forever. Because at that time, we didn't realize that the Nissan GTR is still going to be the same damn car. You know, yeah. at this point. I mean, I mean, how? I don't many... think
1: they're ever going to change it.
2: Right. Exactly. Like, how it's still the same car and
1: it's very sad, honestly, that they haven't changed that car significantly enough.
2: Yeah. And the 2017 was a big. Like, the interior is always the worst part of that car. Mm-hmm. They they made a big improvement in 2017 on the interior. I will say that. But getting back to the looking for the next car, like in 2012, we were we tried um, AMGs like E63 AMG, the Audi S6. We we were trying to find any other. We tried to get into Porsches, like we just couldn't get the traction that we did with the with the GTR. Yeah. Now now they've kind of got traction. Like when I was leaving, um, we we're just starting to get into the Lamborghini and Audi R8, um, and they've got a pretty good foothold in that. In that market, obviously UGR is like, you know, been doing it forever or whatever. Yeah. But, um, but
1: once the tuning opened up, I think for the V10 stuff, it really yeah. kind of exploded that market. Like now, most of the Audis I see and Lamborghini Huracans I see are twin turbo, it seems like.
2: Well, I'll tell you what, those cars are boring as hell if you don't put a tw- twin turbo system mm-hmm. on it. Like uh, Ed had one, we took it on Gold Rush Rally last year It had an Audi R8. And it was, it's a good car. And I equated it to be, like, it's like the ultimate Golf R. <laughs> like, I mean, it's a yeah. good car. It's a, you know, it does everything you want it to do, but it's just, like, mind-numbingly boring. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they, these cars lend themselves really easy to modifications. And, like, a lot of the GTR customers have graduated into them. So, the, the R8 and the Huracan has become the next GTR. Because yeah, so
1: the customers that you guys already kind of acquired... Right. We're just kind of moving we're just on. Kind of moving
2: on. And, and the whole reason I'm actually down here now is we're holding the DCT World Cup, which used to be, this is our seventh year. It used to be the GTR World Cup until this year. It's just now, like, every, like so many of our friends and customers that were coming to our race mm-hmm. are now in other cars. So we've opened it up to anything with the, the DCT transmission.
1: Yeah. Adding DCT definitely makes it a lot better of a race, in my opinion. I think yeah. the GTR is a very niche community.
2: Right, exactly. And
1: those guys that own a high level GTR probably daily drive a twin turbo Huracan, <laughs> so right. it makes it like kind of a perfect niche group of people. And every time I've been to the GTR World Cup, I'm in awe at how good it's catered to the drivers. Yeah, it seems no, this, like this is such this a this is not a spectators race.
2: race. Not to say that it's not good for the spectator. Great like, for the spectator. We just all we care about is the driver because you know. Growing up in this whole industry, it's like we always we were always frustrated at waiting in the staging lanes, having so many cars. Mm-hmm. So most races are about, like, getting the spectators in the seats. Yeah. And that's where they get their money. Like, we just decided, because we're not good businessmen, um, to just, like, the hell with that. And we just wanted to make a race. But realistically, so this race was started by uh, Eric, uh, Eric Gowdy. He was my old sales manager at AMS, who now mm-hmm. works at Chicago Motor Cars, and then my buddy who owns Chicago Motor Cars, Perrin. We were actually at another race with, with Prynne's GTR, and every car was braking. And we just, Prynne's like, is there some other race we can go with this GTR? And we're like, no, they're, like this is this is the only race. And then we all like stopped and looked at each other. We're like,
1: huh.
2: Huh. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's when, and five months later, we had our first GTR World Cup. And I think that's when I met you, because you, yeah. you and Garrett Cletus yep. came, came to cover it. Yeah, we were down
1: there, it was at PBIR at the time, yep. and thank goodness it moved to Bradenton, even though PBIR is closed now anyways, but right. Bradenton's definitely the better home for it, and funny enough, I bought a car from Eric, oh, okay. I bought my CTSV from him, oh, and had okay. it shipped in, never even met him, just, you know, bought the car from them, and it's just a small world, because um, I've had that car for, like, four or five years, and three three years now, Okay, so kind of all comes full circle. But that race being so catered to the drivers is so cool because those guys, they want the catering to them. And I don't blame them. Like, you know, you're out there racing your $150,000 car. You have a team of people that are working on it. You want to go sit down under your wedding venue tent, have your catered food.
2: Yes. And exactly.
1: I envy that. You know, they get to come there, hang out with their friends. And then, you know, a couple months later, they get to go to TX2K and really right. work like us real struggling racers out here <laughs> sweating <laughs> in the staging lanes
2: <laughs> yeah no that, that was our, our biggest frustration because yeah we would take you know groups of cars and we'd have our whole crew and it's just like you need one person just to figure out like oh like who's gonna feed these people yeah you know and we so we we set out to be like we're gonna take all the problems that we see and the stuff that annoys us and we're just gonna take care of it so yeah so the dct world cup as you mentioned we got the vip tent so if you if you enter a car you and your code you know you're whoever you bring, get a, a pass. So now you get, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, drinks, a nice tent to, like, chill out mm-hmm. with fans. And, you know, a lot of people bring their families here. Yep. We call it a racecation because a lot of these people just, they just bring their kids, you so know. You get to come to Florida wife. in the winter.
1: Yes, exactly. It's I like, know but, you guys stay at a nice hotel in Sarasota.
2: Yeah, and then we have an awards dinner. So at, the, so at the end of the race, like, you have a nice awards dinner. We give away a Rolex watch. Any, any person that enters, any driver, it's just a, a random raffle. So that's almost more exciting than who wins the cup. You know, big cash payouts we've got, but I, like my favorite part is like who's going to win this Rolex. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. It doesn't matter how fast or slow your car went. It's like you still get a chance to like win like a substantial, you know, like memento from this from yeah. this race. And then all the teams can kind of come out and,
1: you know, maybe some internet beef can finally come come out with uh, you know, shops have grudges, that's what pushes shops forward. Yeah. In that, a lot of the I would
2: say though, it was There's it's gotta be funny. a little grudging there, there are there to are push. There, to push yes, shops. there is some, but I would say like especially when it was just the GTRs, like it was an interesting community because there really wasn't huge beefs. Sure, you want to you wanna win, but there wasn't like I know with like domestic stuff. There's I think there's just such a big pool of people there's like, there's always going to be egos getting involved. But like for the GTR world cup it was like, most people like would get along, like someone broke something. It's just like, you know, the other, the other team would be like, Oh, you need, you know, you need this clip for your transmission. Like, Oh, we'll take yeah. apart our spare transmit here. Like everyone was like pushing forward to like, they just wanted to race. They wanted a fair race and they didn't want to win by, Oh, uh, this guy's broken. Yep. So th- there was a lot of that, like people helping each other out and just, you know, let's make this a race, you know? And it's a good time to come to try to get
1: you know those records that,
2: all yeah, the,
1: everybody's going for everybody's in that community like stock motor, stock turbo location, like weird niche records. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. The, the micro records, the micro <laughs> records exist heavily in the GTR oh, world, yes, no, and it has to. Yes, because I you think
2: GTRs may have like created the micro <laughs> records. Yes, yeah,
1: it definitely comes from them with like stock housing turbos and like all yeah. kinds of crazy. Well, there's a, stuff. there's a
2: lot of things that can hold those cars back. But, like, you know, when you got Giddy running, you know, six seconds and, and mm-hmm. George and everything, it's like, what are you going to shoot for? It's like, you need micro records because everybody else, like, if you're going for the overall record, just like throw it out, who cares at this yeah. point? Like, just like give up, find something else to do. You better either these, own a shop or. But these micro records have, have helped keep it, a, you know, help people push, you know, forward, you know, doing more with less. And...
1: I mean, people like Giddy have helped push. The whole GTR world forward. Yep. I've been watching. I mean, I, I remember watching him in his blue car go nines. Yeah. And then progress yeah. into working with AMS for a long time. And then. Yeah.
2: Now, yeah. Now that car, geez, I, that car hasn't been out in a few years, but he's here now. And yeah, the car's, the car's back. And that, so that's super exciting to see yeah. that car again.
1: And then George's car with T1. That's yep. a really impressive piece. And I, I get excited to race those cars at TX2K because they're so interesting. They don't, they don't short track well, but then, right. man, they'll come back around you. And they can't <laughs> cut a good light because, yes. you know, we because, run like a pro tree.
2: Because
1: yeah. <laughs> GTR reasons, I don't know. Yeah,
2: no, it's. I mean, that's one of the things with the DCT World Cup, too, is like DCT cars in general can't, they, they don't, they can't compete with guys with, you know, trans brakes and torque converters and you know, yeah. turbo 400s and power glide. Like, we just can't compete. So this gives a, an opportunity, kind of a level playing field. It's like the cars all equally aren't good at the short track, but man, yeah, they do they mile an hour.
1: Yeah, they definitely. I mean, I've seen like 200 miles an hour out of cars that run like 850s. Yeah, right. <laughs> it yeah. gets like a little, little scary. Street cars, right? It's yeah, like, exactly. It's like nuts. Um. So your CNC shop, what do you normally make? I know so, I've seen some interesting things that you've posted. I don't know if you ever want to. Yeah, no, touch I, into I no, them. I've got
2: no problem. Uh, for the most part, I say it was like 90% firearm stuff, mostly AK-47 accessories. Hmm. Um, we've, you know, obviously that whole thing is like, it's a dicey situation. We had, we just had some legislation that almost like took out manufacturing of firearm stuff in Illinois like two weeks ago. So I've been looking to get in some other stuff also a little bit, but um, we main, mainly manufacture accessories for AK-47s and we actually make everything for Mac Customs. So if you're a big AK guy, they're like, they're like the mecca they make all sorts of muzzle brakes and handguards mm-hmm. and and everything else so so we manufacture all their stuff for them so um, you were like you know the EPA's really on me let me switch yeah, no, I, yeah. Like, <laughs> what's the dic- <laughs> what are all the diciest things i can get myself That's into it's the most car
1: guy thing ever to do Yes,
2: exactly so so it's mainly accessories i do have an ffl and an sot so i i have made some ar15 lowers but um, I, I only have one firearm client, and that's JMAC, and they're so known for AKs. We tried getting into the AR stuff with them. And, I mean, we made a really nice lower, but it's, it's like higher end stuff, and there's just so much stuff to tell they're cheaper. Yeah, but, uh, but the so market's but, very flooded. So that's, so that's about two-thirds of our business now. Um, still do a ton for ton for them, but uh, we also do military drone parts. Um, there's a company that's got some government contract where they make anti-drone drones, so I guess the U S government's got a problem where people are trying to fly drones into military bases and stuff. And rather than send a, you know, a missile out to go intercept this thing, uh, this company makes these drones and we're like their main machine shop that, uh, that makes those parts. And I still make some stuff for AMS. I, I still make their intake manifold for the Nissan GTR and a couple oddball Porsche things that they still make. And so a little, a little bit of that, but, uh, primarily the, uh, the firearm space and, uh,
1: yeah, that's a uh, that's a cool space to be in. There's definitely a lot of um, definitely a lot of interesting avenues in that one. I'm sure a lot of people don't love love that, but the AK47 yeah. is also weird because it's not a super what like it's like you don't see them everywhere. No, for sale. no,
2: it's like everyone's a like, AR, AR, AR. Yeah, like that's everybody why, like, I know I say, owns ARs. When I say AK47, I say JMat customer, Everyone's like, oh, I, yeah. I I've got their parts. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like they're the go-to in the AK-47 space because they're just, like, so dedicated to that gun. And it's a really cool, rugged gun. And, you know, when I say, like, I manufacture firearm parts, like, I'm not a total gun nut. Like, I probably should be more into guns than, a, than I am. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's It's, it's like just, manufacturing
1: anything. I mean, like, yeah, it, if it was it, medical equipment, it doesn't right, mean Right, you know, it, yeah. I, I
2: didn't seek out to do this. It was just, uh, JMac reached us because, man, they... They knew somebody that had a DSM back in the day, and, and this person, like, knew that AMS had a machine shop. This is, like, the separate business we started in 2014. It's called MDI, Manufacturer Design Innovation. Um, and th- this JMAC Customs found us because they they had uh, a couple muzzle brakes they sent us to to, like, quote, and he sent us the drawings, and my business partner, he's the former head engineer at AMS, actually, mm-hmm. Drew. He designed all the intake manifolds, turbo kits for GTR, all that stuff. But so this, so JMX sends us these drawings, and we're looking at the drawings, and they want they want a quote. We're like, these are really complex to make. Like, why why are you making it like this? You know, like why is this angle like this? And they're just like, I don't know. Like, we have engineers draw them, then we send it to machine shops like you. Like, we don't know. And Drew's like, well if I could redesign this, I could make, like, how many are you making? And he's like, wait, you can redesign it? Because that's what's interesting about our machine shop. Mostly when you're a machine shop, it's just like, give the, give the print to a guy, and guy doesn't care what it is. Like, it's just like yeah. can I make it? Yeah, I can make it. Take the he's, file, punch it in. They're not engineers, so we have engineering capability. So when, when he heard that, he's like, I have 30 muzzle brakes that I make, and I've got seven machine shops. Like, and Drew's like, well, tell you what, I'll redesign all your stuff I'll make it easy to manufacture. You know, this quality will still be there, but I'll make it, I'll, I will design it in a way because he's an engineer and a machinist. So he can like design it knowing, like, oh shit, I got to make this thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know? That's always like the old joke with like mechanics hate engineers. Right. You kind of right, have to exactly. be both. Yeah. Right, exactly. So
2: that's what, so my business partner Drew, that's what, uh,
1: that's what he is. So he gets to uh, actually streamline the potentially not ideal schematics that are coming out of engineering right, right
2: exactly so now so we're able to so now we're we're their only machine shop so we design everything in-house we make all their stuff and we mm-hmm. geez they're they're up in sales like like 10 12 14x it's something nuts in like the last four or five years we got so efficient that they were the bottleneck like they couldn't keep up with the shipping anymore because it's a husband and wife team, and it, mm-hmm. you know it's a great company. You know it's it's very like grassroots how they started it. It's a super cool story, but the, we got we got them so efficient they couldn't handle the shipping, so we took over the fulfillment. So we so if you order from JMac Customs, like we make the stuff, we package it, and it comes from our building. Oh, so, so their you know, life got a lot easier. Yeah. So yeah. So so but. So they started just handling marketing and product ideas yeah. because they're, like, I mean, they've got all the ideas of, like, because they're super into guns. Like, me and Drew aren't, like, like we shoot here and there, but, I mean, they, like, live it. They live in West Virginia. They can just shoot out their backyard. Like, I mean, yep. they're always doing stuff. But they've gotten so busy, now they have marketing people. I mean, so it's, it's a cool story, like, in the last five years to see just this thing just explode for them.
1: They were definitely part of it. Kind of like AMS's start, right place, right timing. Yes.
2: No. No. That's that's exactly. It seems
1: like now you know the explosion of firearms has gone up like crazy. Yes. Exactly. But that would I can't imagine why they wouldn't get into ARs. It seems like the next. Yeah. No. Like I said, we did. But
2: but here's the thing: like we're they're growing so much in the AK space. It's like, like they know that space and mm-hmm. everything. Like, there's still stuff that's like on the back burner. Like we just got it. They've been wanting to do barrels forever. But we, it, got, it was funny because we got them super efficient, then they couldn't keep up with shipping. And then we got that sorted out. And then now they have all this time to come up with more ideas. So now we can't keep up with the ideas. <laughs> oh, so
1: you guys need to expand your machine shop next.
2: Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah, four years ago, it was me, Drew, and three machines. Now we have 13 machines, and we run 24 hours a day. Oh, so you even added the night shift. Yeah, so we even have like a, it's not like, it's not like lights out manufacturing. It's like there's people in the building 24 Mm -hmm. hours a day, seven days a week.
1: So the manufacturing side definitely gets interesting, but somebody trying to get into automotive and machining and stuff like that, where would you tell them to start then? Because you've obviously hired people across the board.
2: Yeah, no, I have. Where's the start now? Where's the start? Well, geez, it kills me to say this, but. Anyone that's wanting to get into like automotive stuff, like it's cool. It's, it's awesome. And I, but I feel like I've lived through like the total heyday of it and now it's what's going to happen. Like, where is this going to go? It may, it may live on. It's going to live on. Like Mm -hmm. people will be LS swapping and just like people build nostalgic hot rods with dual quads. Like, it's not like leaving forever, yeah. but what's the future look like for somebody that wants to get into, like, be the next AMS performance? Like, I don't know. Like, it's so dicey that I'm scared. I'd be scared to tell somebody to try to get into it. Yeah, that's a, uh, that's a tough one because
1: I've talked to some other people about that as, like, you know, 17-year-old kid about to graduate, wants to get into cars, maybe learn machining, those kind of things,
2: like what's the path? Because, you know, the path might the, probably the best path would probably just be like a dealer technician for now. Like if, if somebody was here was 18 years old and they just graduated high school and they just love cars, I would say just get, if they want to be a mechanic, just get a job at a dealership, you know, mess around with your cars on the side and let's just see where this goes. Mm-hmm. Cause it's good money being a dealership mechanic. Um, if being a mechanic's not your thing, a big thing that's growing is uh, CNC machining. Just anything in the manufacturing space, because everyone's reshoring stuff. Like I'm mm. I'm seeing it. We had we had some customers that we were dealing with five years ago that like sought us out for CNC machining. they like we they were in China because China was it was cheaper. And it was some good quality coming out of China for, for CNC stuff. But now, you know, all the Chinese they they want to You know, they're not working for pennies on the dollar anymore. Like, you know, just like anything, it's like you start doing better. Everyone wants to do better. So now they've, like, they priced themselves out. It's not cheaper to have something CNC'd and then shipped over here. So there's a big shift in manufacturing now to this country. So, like, CNC machining would be a great thing to get into because, also, you can get in as an operator. And then a lot of operators, if you really love it, you'll become a programmer, and you can make some really good money being a programmer. Is... So the
1: China thing, is that a is there there a misconception there that some of those factories aren't you know top tier manufacturing factories? Because I feel like some people think they're like you know like terrible factories, but oh, like they're
2: all like dirt floors. Yeah, stuff. no, there's some modern stuff. I was surprised to see some some of the CNC stuff that would come out of China. That's like, what I in, in some heard. some respects like better than here, like. They they've got they had they had it pretty dialed in, but now but they price themselves out of the market now. Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. And with shipping to, to get to the U.S. and time and everything. The only thing I think China, where they have a leg up on us, is casting. You can't cast anything in this country. That makes sense. It's like 10 times the cost. It, maybe it, Maybe I'm dating myself from back when I was in this space, you know, five, six years ago. Maybe that's changed. But, like, back then, like, you just couldn't find – you couldn't cost-effectively cast anything in this country. And then electronics – get pretty tough in the US Yeah, no electronics too. And especially
1: with like, you know, if you want to keep modifying cars, ECUs are very important and standalones are becoming more and more important. Right. And the standalone market is struggling right now because I think a lot of companies just don't have them, don't have the ability to get them. Yeah. I've heard months back ordered on that kind of stuff, but that's something that I don't see coming over to the U.S. anytime soon.
2: No, that's not, that's not but, like, I can, I can only speak from the CNC machining side of yeah. things. Is It is growing. I've got friends with machine shops, and we're having a hard time, like, finding employees. I, I do pretty good finding employees because my shop is very nice, very modern. It's growing. It's a really good group of guys. And then I also share the space with my, with Cannibal Garage. So usually when someone comes in the front door of my machine shop, the new hire, you know, or someone like a job applicant, they're like looking like, wow, this is a really nice shop. And they kind of wander through the shop, and then they get to the center row and they just look and they just see McLaren's. And then you hear like a, a Senna on the dyno or something. And you're just like, oh, I got to work here. We've had a number of cases like that where we're hiring an operator. Uh, most recently we hired an operator cause he like just loved the space, loved the vibe. So he goes to his old job and he's like, yo, I'm leaving in two weeks. Like tells his buddy, like, you got to go check out this MDI place. So then, so then that guy's like, Hey, are you hiring? So he comes in, we hire him. So we, it's been shoot, like it's easier for me to find, you mm-hmm. know, just because I'm an interesting niche kind of like yeah, vibe and got cool, a lot of word of mouth, cool place. And it's growing, but like, I have a, a number of friends with machine shops that like they just can't find employees. Yeah. And,
1: with a machine shop, too, it get it probably gets complicated because you could look at this machine, see it making something, but no, there's probably something it could be doing that could make me more money. Like, yeah. there's probably so many out there that are making something that is way undervalued for what it could be doing every hour. Yeah,
2: no, that that's that is true,
1: and that probably gets pretty tough as a
2: business stand standpoint. Yeah, well, you know, we've we've got different types of machines. We've got some we've got some stuff that is. Uh meant for like higher volume we've got some stuff that's like super precision it just depends on what you you know what job you're doing like the, these drone parts we're making require like some super precision stuff so we've had to buy specialized machines just just for that yeah that makes sense so your
1: collection of cars let's let's talk about your
2: oh yeah this is a car podcast your, isn't it no <laughs> i
1: just i find it like whatever business anything that somebody might find interesting but um Cars that you own that are on the interesting level. I mean, I i don't even know what number of cars you have or what cars well, you makes, have in your collection. That makes two of us. <laughs> I, guess I I lost count. And how
2: many different states they may be in at any time? Yeah, I mean, I, my peak, jeez, like probably three or four years ago, I had 22 cars. And I, I, I made the mistake of counting them once hmm. um, because I lost one. It's just like... It was gone. Somebody may have had it. Yes, I, I had this Integra Type R, and I, I was selling it. And I remember, like, someone, it was up for sale for a little while, and I, I was walking up to my i had two garages. And I walked up to my one garage, and I get this email. I'm looking, I'm like, oh, he wants to buy the car. And I'm just like, I open the garage, I'm like, oh, No where is that car? Cause I had two garages. I had, I was drew with my business partner with the machine shop. He lived like four doors down. I was keeping cars in his garage. And then this was after AMS and before I started my garage. So I was having to like send cars, to like different, my friend's shops to like get worked on. And I stood there for like 60 seconds thinking, where is that car? And it didn't dawn on me. I'd actually like made room in my other garage, stick it. And I found it. I'm just mm-hmm. like, this is a problem. Oh my gosh! So, so then, ever since then, I've been trying to come down on cars. I think I'm at like 13 or 14. I'm trying to get to like 10, or maybe like in the single digits, nine. Yeah, but I, I grow. I have emotional attachment to cars. But then you'll just start buying
1: more once you get that low. That's that's something will pop up. I have.
2: I am net lower. I have basically with when you know before this bubble bursts of you know all these crazy car values. I, I saw that coming. I'm just like I if I am not in love with this car, I'm going to sell it. So I've sold off some stuff like I just wasn't like absolutely emotionally attached to. But every car that I've done a cannonball in, I have.
1: Yeah, I can't, that, I can't that, get rid of those. I have
2: that $500 Crown Vic. Uh, for what? <laughs> you know? I mean, it's got a ton of work done to it. You know, part of the thing with that race is anything safety related, you could fix. So like I spent like 10 grand like rebuilding underneath. So it is, it's a Arizona car. It's all rebuilt underneath, but it's got a you know, quarter million mile drivetrain in it.
1: Yeah. Like, what do I do with that? I can't get rid of it. Yeah, you're going to sell it to somebody
2: like, for $1,000. Yeah, right. It's not even worth selling. So yeah. you know, i got to keep that. And then we won the C2C Express and my Bluesmobile in 2016. So in, Plus, I live in Chicago. And you know, I think we breezed over the whole Bluesmobile thing. Yeah. yeah, that's a big movie in Chicago is the Blues Brothers was filmed there. Like, if you're from Chicago, like you know the Bluesmobile and the Blues hmm. Brothers. So I got that car. Can't get rid of that. Um, you could probably make money off of having that car. You know, Oh, yeah, probably for rentals. Rent I've got a buddy that rents it out up in yeah, Chicago. Yeah, you could probably do well, well with that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have the bandwidth for that. Um, I just like driving it around. That car's a lot of fun to drive around in the city, so I can't get rid of that. Uh, then I've got my silver E63 that I that broke the Cannonball record in, got hit by a truck, I got it rebuilt. Like I still do rallies with that thing, so I um, still got that. I can't ever get rid of the Ford Taurus. I mean, I drove yeah. down my, my my TDI-swapped Honda Insight that I did a, uh, the musket ball in is that it that was a hundred horsepower cannonball in 2021. Like I didn't even win. Like I still Just need to keep can't it. Get rid yeah. of it. The car broke in Denver, but like, I put so much effort and work into it. I'm like, well, I can't get rid of that. And then I've got my hearse. Like I've got so much money tied up in that thing. And even though that I've kind of lost, uh, lost interest in it for a while, I've regained some interest. Like, we were, I think we breezed over this too. The, the car was out with Matt. He did all the uh, put all Holley uh, yeah, dynamometer on it. Um, Tom from nonfiction nonfiction fab did redid my turbo kit. Uh, I got some new Force Performance turbos on it. So, like, I'm bringing it into the modern age. It's gonna be. It's flex fuel now, and like, yeah, it's not like it's not the '08 build. Like, I can actually drive it now. A lot has changed. changed. A yeah. lot has changed. So it's like, well, I can't get rid of that um geez what else do I got I mean I've got uh Stan what else do I got oh it the ambulance good. I got I have an ambulance I want to recreate it? oh yeah I got that too um so I've got a 77 Trans Am that my parents neighbor bought brand new he owned it for 40 years I bought that so that's I, another permanent car the, uh, well that, that was that that a permanent car and then I did that that Southern Classic race, where it's mm-hmm. a Tex, uh, Atlanta to Texarkana. I'm back, and I came in second place last year. I lost to a Ferrari 308 GTS. There's the only person that beat me, and a stock, original 90,000-mile uh, Trans Am. So the car's got magical powers. How it is, yeah. and it's still together. I flogged it, like, 1,300 miles. Uh, so can't get rid of that.
1: Um, so got, it sounds like there's no, like, supercar... Hyper cars. I, no i don't have any super cars. on your list no, no any desire any interest in those you've built them I, you've driven yeah. them you've been
2: all around I, them I, I, two interest me one mclaren 720 that mm-hmm. is for the money that is the best car hands down uh, mclaren's a little quirky um it's it is a british supercar at the end of the day but yeah. man driving experience and just being able to handle anything you throw at it i mean you can't beat those cars so, one of those, and then maybe Audi R8 Twin Turbo.
1: Yeah, those seem like both th- of the... Uh... Those
2: those are the two cars that, that I would get, but I'm, I'm more of the school of I like uh, quantity over quality. Like, I'm not the kind of guy that could... And I'm, you're probably not either. Like, I couldn't have, like, a new Corvette and just, like, polish it on the weekend and, like, put my put yeah, my uh, my it. lawn chair in the back and just go to a car show and be like, yeah, that's right. You know, I got my chrome headers on there. You know, mm-hmm. I can't, I, I can't, like I'm, I'm like nuts when it comes to cars. Like yeah, I if you
1: had $150,000 to go buy a car, you yeah. would go buy eight hoopties. Oh yeah.
2: No, I, yeah. I, and I, I do something
1: random I, with I, them. I have
2: another problem spending like a lot of money on a car. Like if I got to spend like forty fifty thousand dollars 50000 on a car, I'm just like, oh, that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I could sell all my cars and have a McLaren or maybe
1: two. Well, now's a but, bad time to get into cars like that as well. Cause right. No, exactly. That bubble seems like it's about to pop. It seems like it has inflated so much oh, in the last three the years. the harder
2: it went up, the harder it's coming down. Like G-Wagons. Like a G63. Yeah. The G63 was going for a full G63 over sticker. hmm I mean, you, were paying, you had to pay the price of two G63s to get one. That that market's coming down huge. A McLarens are coming down quite a bit. Huracans, like it, everything.
1: Yeah, it's it's a weird spot for a lot of people to be in that think that they have this investment, this kind of nest egg right. of a car. I don't know.
2: Like, what were people thinking? Like this whole time, this is going on. I'm like, guys, this is not. Yeah. Like this is not normal. Like you remember what it was three years ago? That's normal. Like this isn't going to last forever. This is a this is an anomaly. And this is this is never going to happen again. And in ten years, you're going to look back and be like, "Man, do you remember when, you know, I bought a McLaren for two hundred thousand dollars, and a year later it was worth three hundred thousand dollars? Like, and I didn't sell it. Yeah, right. Man, I really should have yeah. sold it that time. And then time. I sold it for one hundred twenty-five thousand when this yeah. whole thing sold. Yeah.
1: It's tough because you know you you want to get those cars, but yeah, it's not no, really I, the time. Yeah, yeah,
2: right now I'm I'm just chilling. Uh, my next purchase I want I want to buy a seven twenty when they. If they can get below 200 grand, mm-hmm. they were getting like that was always my plan. Is if they can get below 200 grand, like I, I can swing that maybe, uh, you know, mentally and you know financially. Yeah. But But um, but yeah, as soon as they got down to like low like 210, 15, like 220, I saw them, and then just everything just reversed, and they were 300,000. Mm-hmm. they're they're coming back down. I, I do want to 720. Um, but yeah, I just I I don't know. I I don't think I could. Like sell everything and just be a one or two car. Justify
1: guy. having and, that, yeah. You know, I got
2: weird stuff. I've got a, I've got an ambulance, a Duramax powered ambulance, and I'm gonna make a modern version of the Transcon Medivac from the movie Cannonball Run. Because in in the '79 Cannonball, they actually ran an ambulance, a fake ambulance. Yeah. So and then that was in the movie that you that you've seen. That was an actual real thing. They did run an ambulance. So I want to make like the modern version of it. So I've got this like lightly modified Duramax ambulance that's going to double as like a family cruiser and uh and tow vehicles. So i'm gutting the interior putting like a it's gonna be like a conversion van inside but it's gonna look like an ambulance
1: yeah i feel like i've seen you with a lot of vans yeah. oh the i years. love vans yeah i feel like you've had a lot of vans oh man
2: you give me a lot of
1: tow me. vans and so i got to
2: tow vans and delivery vans <laughs> and van vans like oh, i'm like i am i'm van crazy. yeah where does
1: the desire for a van come in
2: um like, you know, I, I got to nev- have
1: a wagon, and that seems like understandable, but I feel like yeah. a car guy being into vans. So
2: I was never into vans, and the, re- the way I got into vans was in 2001, we started AMS, and I remember, you know, man, AMS grew so fast, so quick. That was, man, what a ride that was, but very quickly, we, it became apparent we needed a tow vehicle, and we needed a delivery vehicle. And back then, I didn't care for van. I didn't really care. But I was mm-hmm. working at this towing company, Fry's Automotive. This before I quit my day job. And there was a couple expediters that, that parked in our parking lot. We had a, you know, a storage lot. And they had, these, they had a, uh, a 6.5 liter Detroit um, GMC or Chevy Express van. And they were going out of business. They were selling a couple. And I bought this 220,000 mile, 98. it mean, was three years old with 220,000 miles. I bought for $3,000. Cause it had a diesel. Like I'm just like, this is perfect. It's cheap. Yeah. Cause we didn't have a lot of money. It's it's a van, so it, we could deliver stuff. And it's like it'll tow an open trailer. Great. And I just I remember I got the thing and I just started driving it like daily, like back and forth from work. And I just fell in love with being able to throw whatever I wanted in the back. I was back. I was in the cycling back then, so I could throw my bicycle in there. You know, you see some on Craigslist you want, you just go move a couch like. So I got really excited about vans. Like I yeah. fell in love with vans, and that was it. I've owned a whole bunch of vans since. And Just I, all know, kinds I can't of, believe I'm this excited about vans. I'm hey, talking I about mean, McLarens you know, and everything else. like Whatever. But let's talk about vans. I work on McLarens,
1: but yeah. I'm mostly a van enthusiast. yeah. But yeah That's basically. an interesting, uh, interesting route to take. So the early days of AMS, when you guys started that, did you already own a DSM, and you were like, oh, I'm going to modify this and... No, maybe somebody will buy parts for it. Like how? How
2: does that? So, so the story goes. um, In high school, Martin had a Mercour XR4Ti. Do you even know what that is? Nope. From 1985 to 89, uh, Ford brought over their Escort thing. I was born in '94. If that okay, so yeah, it was all right. (laughs) Some of that stuff is a little before. Yeah, yeah, that's a little before your time. So they they had this weird. Uh, German-built Ford that they sold at Mercury dealers under the under the nameplate Mercur. so it was a two-point-three-liter turbo, like just like you know Mustang SVO. Yeah, it was that motor and transmission in this European Ford, and you know it's a turbo car. It was our first turbo car we ever came in contact with. I had muscle cars in high school, but Martin's dad, uh, he, he was Polish and he just like very European. He's like, you cannot have muscle car. You know, like, you need something European. So this was the best we can come up with. So yeah. that's how we got introduced to this Mercure. So Martin went away to college. I stayed. I was towing, whatever. He came back from college, and he's like, man, I, I really want to build a car. He didn't have any money. He just came back from college. I'm like, man, you know, remember that Mercure? Like, the turbos were cool. We didn't really understand them, but we, like, we realized how cool they were. Like, let's, get a, let's buy a Mercure together. So we bought a Merkur and started modifying it. We're, we're doing autocross and road racing and stuff, and we quickly found, Martin's an engineer by, by uh, that's his degree, and that's where he really excels as an engineer. We found that there was no good camshaft for the Merkur, for the 2.3 turbo Ford, which is basically mm. a Pinto engine with forged internals. It a cast iron cylinder head. I mean, this thing was like a brick shithouse. So we, we quickly discovered, like, no one made a cam for it. Every cam that was out there was for, like, naturally aspirated cars. The best camshaft you could get for a Merkur was a a ranger cam out of a ranger truck because of like the low end torque or whatever, like just seemed to work the best. Yeah. So Martin's like, I'm going to design a camshaft. So he went to work with another buddy. They designed a camshaft for the Mercure, and we needed a company to sell it. So we just started AMS because we needed a company to sell this camshaft. Yeah. We're dealing with a car that's already like 14 years old. Like it just, it fell on its face.
1: Not a well-known car. Exactly. Already outdated.
2: Right. So at the time, Martin had a Gallant VR four that He just happened to buy for a daily driver, and you know he he did. A, I remember he did a, a exhaust and a boost controller, and we took the thing out. He's like, "Holy cow!" He goes, "This thing's like, I just did an exhaust and a boost controller. It's way faster than our Mercours ever could be." So we just like, like the heck with Mercours. And those are actually cool, right? Exactly. Uh, the Mercours are pretty cool too. <laughs> if any of your listeners know what that is, I'm sure somebody has yeah, a Mercour out sure. there. It's a total cult vehicle. Like these people are a little crazy. I'm Almost sure the, how I am. I'm sure, with the Rams. Facebook
1: group is yeah very alive and well.
2: Yes, exactly. So, so yeah, we just shifted gears right into DSM stuff. So then, quickly after, I bought a modified '91 uh, GSX, mm-hmm. and like, a, oh my gosh, what a fantastic motor and platform that thing was. So
1: did it start off with parts or tuning or so, working on cars?
2: So it was both. It sort of started out manufacturing parts actually before we actually opened the shop end of things. Um, we designed an intercooler for the Gallant VR4 because at the time nobody had one. Gallant VR4 is only like three thousand of them were made, mm-hmm. so they, like everyone had like DSM, like you know Eagle Talon and this kind of stuff, but yeah. not many people made parts for the Gallant. So he designed uh, a intercooler kit for that, and then uh, T3 T4 adapter plate. We instead of making a whole turbo kit with manifolds and stuff, we uh, Martin's dad had a machine shop. That's where this whole idea of machining stuff came. So we made an adapter plate, made a turbo kit. But it, it quickly became um, apparent that if we worked on cars, because we were, like, self-funding this. Like, the only money that went into AMS from the start is I invested $3,500 to buy the first lift. That is the only outside money that this giant empire started with was 3500 yeah. bucks. Coincidentally, I still have that lift in my garage as a memento of, you know, of the, those golden years of import stuff.
1: Yeah, when $3,500 could start you a... Uh business like yeah that. right
2: yeah no that's that's what it was but we just like you know we were trying to make these parts or whatever and we're just like man if we had a lift and could work on other people's cars we could make money and then we could like buy more you know buy another welder or buy some mm-hmm. fabrication equipment or like so yeah we like with that with that investment of that lift we built that whole company.
1: Wow that's pretty awesome. So super grassroots start like oh,
2: there's, there's as I don't small there's, as it gets yeah I mean realistically we want to look really far back it, when it started, it was 99. Um, I had an 800-square-foot house that me, my wife, and Martin lived in. In my two-car garage, we had two Mercours, and I remember Martin would be out there with, like, porting cylinder heads, and, you know, we would be out working in the garage. Like, that was, like, really the start of AMS. So it really started out of my garage. But, yeah, that's the only money that came, came uh, you know, out of pocket. Yeah, everything else everything was fed by Everything we bootstrapped, everything.
1: And then... The machine shop and everything. Wow, that's really awesome. That's crazy to have such a small beginning for something that's such a household name in, right. you know, 20 years. Yeah. I mean, even in 15 years, it was already a household name. It was taking over TX2K, yeah. Yeah. AMS Performance. Yeah. Now building Lamborghini kits, like Kyle Loftus' car came from right. AMS Performance. I know he's spoken very highly about it. It's just a it's a really cool beginning. Well, let's talk about the the... Gift brought to me. I can already Yeah,
2: I see you got a nice studio here. Yeah. So figured you might need something for the wall.
1: So we got a New York to California license plate. You even signed it, thank you. Appreciate that. And a cannonball garage. Also, you didn't even know New York is where I'm from, so that works yes, perfectly. I, I just learned that. Yeah. Oh that's a that's a really cool plate. Did you
2: do you sell these? Uh, yeah, I was I, I do have a few of them left. We we were selling them for charity a buddy of mine um another another cannonball guy uh travis bell in indianapolis he's got a company called celebrity machines and he makes replica license plates like ecto-1 and you know from Mm -hmm. back to the future out of time and so he makes any any tv show or movie car or like any car that's appeared in any show like he makes the license plate so uh, when we broke the record he he made that custom plate where, you know, it's obviously half New York, half California. And, yeah, uh, yeah we sold those for charity for uh, Operation Underground Railroad, which is a sex, sex trafficking um, charity that helps uh, reunite these kids with their families and stuff. So, And uh, the Cannonball Memorial Run, which is a, a charity that helps um, fallen officers. If, like, if an officer were to die in the line of duty, mm-hmm. they offer um, support within the first 48 hours, a $10,000 check. Because a lot of times these, you know, these officers are, we the breadwinner and, you know, there's, yeah. there may be life insurance and stuff down the road, but Cannibal Memorial Run, you know, like offers like immediate assistance, mm-hmm. you know, right out right within the first 48 hours. So yeah, we kind of did a charity thing with them, but Cannibal I got a few Memorial of them. I,
1: I, lo- I love the sound of that. I mean, I'm, I come from a family of law enforcement, so that's really cool. Cause that, yeah, that first few hours when you don't know what's
2: going on and right it's like there's there could be an immediate need for money and mm-hmm. it's a great organization and you know i i i like i like both of those causes quite a bit so yeah so we we made those and uh and sold them but i i do have i kept a few extra just for occasions like this yes i love that hopefully someday i i
1: venture into at least making the cannonball run you know obviously i've never done it i'm not going to venture into. I'm gonna go break a record. Right. No, venturing just think, into gather,
2: doing it. Gather a couple buddies you have, right? you know, minimally prepare a car. Heck, rent a car. There's been a lot of guys that just rent a car. That, I mean, you want the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Just you just fly to New something. York, rent a car, and, and just go, just drive across the country. Non-stop. There was that guy in the
1: Mustang that did it, and he did it like solo, I think. Yeah. He just no. rented a Mustang. Yep. I do have a CTSV wagon, and I've always thought, that would be a pretty It'd good be a car. You could put a fuel car. tank in the back. Yeah. You have endless room for everything. Yeah. It's I just, just don't know if you want to be in the car with the fuel. Probably not. You could probably put some kind firewall. of metal firewall or something. Yeah, you definitely yeah. do a firewall. But that car is pretty unsuspecting. Like, oh, when yeah, you absolutely. see it from the back, it doesn't really yeah. look like much. And right. most car people are just like, they don't really care it's about stable. it. Right, exactly. But I think that's. I think that's how me and you are a lot, where if most car people don't really care about it, we're kind of fixated on it a little bit. Right. I kind of have that weird car.
2: Yeah, right. Itch. Well, there's like, there's van guys, there's wagon guys. I happen to be both more, more leaning towards a van thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I like, yeah,
1: obscure. <laughs> it's, stuff. it's a weird, um, it's weird being drawn to the obscure car culture. I mean, even like I have a first gen CTSV, which is like super weird. Everybody hated them when they came out and yeah. people still hate them. But um, I think, uh, I think we're, we're good there on time. Uh,
2: where can people find you at? Well, uh, probably most in, uh, active on Instagram. It's Arnie's Antics. A R N E S Antics. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't really do too much with YouTube and and all that stuff. I'm not I'm not trying to be some internet celebrity or anything. I just I, I really don't have time or the bandwidth. But uh, I do like sharing. I, I write a blog too. I like sharing the obscure stuff that I do because when I was looking to like learn more about cannonball and just weird stuff. Like there's just, when there's not a lot of information out there, like I like to put it out there for people that might like it. So if there's yeah. 10 people that want to follow or a hundred thousand people, like it doesn't matter to me. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put out the weird stuff that I do and yeah, take it or leave it.
1: It's interesting too, because putting things out, like when you, when you do something like that on the internet, somebody five, 10 years from now may read that stuff in the fixation of cannonball when, Cannonball makes a massive resurgence of popularity because even the movie was so long ago at this yeah, point, yeah, over, and,
2: f- over forty years,
1: and it's still and there's talk- flame is
2: still burning. There, there's there is another movie being made hmm. about Cannonball. Now, what what this is going to be and how true to form it's going to be, I don't know. At first, I was like worried that is you know you know how sequels are of yeah. anything, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, but Brock Yates' wife is uh, still around and still kind of you know, curating the the name and and in control of things. And and she said that like they're they're going to make a movie and it's going to be very true to form and something that Brock would be would, mm. would be proud of. So we've got that to look forward to. It's you know COVID threw it off a bit, but yeah. it sounds like you know next couple of years I think we're gonna we may have something out there. So you could
1: probably sell a documentary too. To a streaming service of some sort, I'm sure, if it was yeah, pitched there's, yeah, well there's, enough.
2: Yeah, there's, uh, there's some of that sort of going on in the background, too. So That would
1: be pretty cool to see just out of... I,
2: I watch a lot of documentaries,
1: so I, would, I wouldn't mind seeing yeah, I would, something I would on love, cars. I,
2: I hope that one day there, there is a documentary, because a lot of people say I should write a book, and I do not have the time to write a book. <laughs> yeah, but you could have
1: somebody write the book for you, and you just kind of scribe it yeah, to them. Yeah, I don't
2: know. That just sounds like a lot of work. And then
1: there's even people like... Um, Richard, that of um, Rawlings, right? He he had a record for a while in a Ferrari, right? Yeah,
2: he didn't really ever hold the record, but that's kind of a weird story.
1: Oh, so he kind of like allegedly, in his words, he had the record. Yeah, so,
2: well, he has no proof, for one thing. But, you know, I take people at their word, and I think he did run 3159. Problem is, he did that in May of 07, okay? And he came out right away. I broke the Cannonball record. He was on Gumball. 3,000, and they made a bet like, oh, I bet you can't beat the cannonball record. They were on the East Coast, so he just goes and decides he does this and allegedly runs 3,159. Like I said, I believe him. But the problem is is Alex Roy had actually broken the record in October of 06, and he was under a year of silence because of the statute of limitations. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, Richard's running around saying, I broke the cannonball record, getting the tattoo and everything. Yeah, so, so Alex Roy... On, on the year anniversary... Alex calls Richard and says, Hey man, I just wanted to let you know, like, I actually broke the cannonball record in October of 06. Like, I went 31 hours, four minutes, so you really never had the record? <laughs> isn't, there, isn't there even some contesting with
1: Alex Roy's and some of his records? Um, I thought I've heard some people no, kind of doubt some of the stuff.
2: At first, when Ed broke Alex's record, Alex thought there were some holes in it which there there weren't um, and since then like Alex, Alex and Ed are fine actually me Ed and Alex in 2018 uh, did a cannonball together one of these old car cannonballs mm-hmm. we jumped in Ed's um, 84 Audi Quattro 5000 4000 5000 one of the some thousand and so it was me Ed and Alex Roy and we we ran across country and it was the best most miserable trip ever because it was 37 <laughs> hours in a car without air conditioning But man, we had so many great times and Mm -hmm. great conversations, and the car was so not competitive at all. Um, But uh, yeah, so that was fun. But um, but yeah, there there have been you know some discrepancies here and there. The the most recent one is the is is the big one where there was a lot of evidence of falsification and things like that. But um,
1: I mean, that happens with anything that people can get into a pissing contest about. The
2: more people you get involved, the more likely something's gonna something's gonna happen
1: you know well with racing the thing is like if you're not cheating you're not winning right in drag racing like if you're not bending the rules a little bit you're not winning
2: no absolutely
1: but cannonball there's like more of a um like a camaraderie i guess and more of like a legacy to it that people hold true and hold to right that makes it a lot different drag racing like you know you're just it's that one pass
2: and there's something cool about that too and and i don't really like You know NASCAR. Like I don't really find NASCAR entertaining at all. Um, However, like I find it interesting the way they they find ways to cheat, Mm -hmm. like with these just like these very minimal little changes and tricks, and like I find that stuff fascinating. Yeah, like
1: especially you know twenty years ago where there was like so much gray area racing, which is really cool. The gray area racing because then it just becomes a crafty.
2: Right, exactly. Contest like that that so that that was fascinating to me. But yeah, I'm not a big NASCAR fan other than that. Yeah, it's, I don't, I don't even. I I don't even know. I'm guessing now they probably probably so strict and tight on stuff that there's
1: they still get a lot of views though. They still yeah. get a lot of people in yeah. the seats. They still get a lot of views. So I always yeah. look at it as a drag racer is what am I doing that they're not because they're getting sponsorship dollars. Right. Yeah. And that, we're not. Yeah. That, yeah. That's the problem. Right. <laughs> what do I need to do to get the sponsorship dollars that? Well, the good news is, is you
2: in drag racing, you can actually get some sponsorship dollars because in cannonball, there's no one in their right mind that is going to sponsor
1: this. That's true. You're not going to have a cannonball sponsored by anybody. So what's next for you then on your on your like you have a goal next that you're thinking about. You have your eye on something. Yeah.
2: So before I got into cannonball stuff, so I spent seven years doing things. I, I think this is kind of like the human condition. Is like every seven years, like you just get an itch to change. And mm-hmm. I'm, I've just passed seven years in this cannonball stuff. Before cannonball, I was into long distance cycling. And I ride recumbent bicycles. You know what a recumbent bicycle is? Where your feet are out in front of you? Like usually old people. Oh, ride. yeah, yeah. You know, It's very comfortable. It's like, like riding a lazy boy. So I go down the rabbit hole of everything I get into. I go so far, like I go past as far as you ever should go. So I have a thing called the Velomobile. It is a recumbent tricycle, two wheels in front, one in the back. Designed in a wind tunnel. It looks like a missile or a torpedo.
1: I've been to the wind tunnel where they design them. Yeah. I was there testing a car. Okay. And in the room, it was all bicycle stuff. Yeah. All of it. Every piece of helmet, the shoes, everything. And he was like, yeah, most of the people that rent the wind tunnel... Our cyclists and, and I,
2: cyclists yeah because the arrow because when you're dealing with you know uh, you really can't you can only tweak your body so much right so yeah. now every little bit counts so yeah so weight it's a, and
1: arrow is all of it
2: so it's this nine foot long carbon fiber like missile with pedals so i would do long distance rides um back in you know the early 2010s or whatever i was big into cycling and I, my longest ride i rode from chicago to indianapolis in one day 20, 225 miles so i think i want to get back in cycling i have a few goals i want to ride around lake michigan just on a leisurely it's like a thousand miles i like to just be able to do it yeah eventually ride across the country but my ultimate goal is i want to ride from chicago to st louis it's very flat it's Mm -hmm. 300 miles i want to do it in one day 300 miles in one day so on a bicycle your moving average has to be pretty high then yes and i don't know i might be past my prime of being able to do that but like that's that's my goal is to get back into cycling stuff and that's
1: interesting because i've actually wanted to cycle from here to watch a spacex launch on the other coast okay i don't do much cycling but i have one that is an electric assist so it would help me a lot yeah but it is pretty good distance
2: yeah i like cycling a lot it reminds me of like when i was a kid and just like the adventure it was like the first opportunity mm-hmm. to like just like be on your own yeah you know and like i i, I don't know i really resonate with that
1: yeah the, the three wheel seems nice too because you're kind of
2: you don't fall over
1: yeah and you're yeah, kind of like how do you not down. fall over i'm
2: like oh there's three wheels it's like you know
1: <laughs> yeah, that definitely seems fun. So around Lake Michigan, a thousand miles. Yeah, would I think that it, put you into Canada too. Uh, no, you go through Upper Michigan. Oh, okay, that makes sense. I was, yeah, yeah I'm not familiar. Yeah, and too I have r- the, I've
2: ridden I, I rode the whole Upper Peninsula once too, 200 miles in one day. You go from Menominee, uh, Michigan, all the way over to um, Mackinac Island, or There's a mm-hmm. big bridge over there. It's like 200 miles. So I've done that. It's very pretty up there. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a nice ride around the Great Lake, especially in the summer.
1: Do you have any plans to uh, move your business out of
2: Illinois at any point? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. No, I I was already planning, um, and then this legislation just went through. And like four days before the legislation went through, it actually said you cannot manufacture parts for for assault rifles. So that was like a huge wake-up call. Thankfully, they wrote that out of there, and there's... Yeah. And now it's just about owning them, and, and they're fighting it, and they're winning. Like it's probably not going to take effect, but the writing's on the wall. Illinois is not a friendly state for what I do, or in any aspect. Like politically, it just doesn't align with me whatsoever. Um, I think I'm going to end up in Tennessee.
1: Yeah, Tennessee is really nice. Nashville
2: and Knoxville is where, where we're looking at. So I'm, I'm planning. I'm not going. I'm not deserting Illinois. I'm going to. I own a building there. I own a couple businesses. I think I'm going to make another branch of Cannonball Garage. And then another, move all the firearm end of my machining mm-hmm. to Tennessee. Yeah. I just want to get one foot out the door. I don't necessarily want to move full time. There's there's something nice about Chicago in the summer, but I've I've never been to Chicago actually. Really? Yeah,
1: I may have to make the uh, yeah no come on up. up for
2: come on up for a visit. You know, it's uh, it it's seems right.
1: pretty awesome. It seems like a very historic place.
2: It is a very historic place. It, it does get a bad rap. They're like oh like oh shy rack and you're gonna get shot. It's not. I mean, it's starting to, you know, downtown area is starting to have some trouble, some mm. shenanigans going on. But for the most part, I'm not scared of going down there or anything. But yeah. there are parts, just like anywhere else you go. You know, it's just it's parts you just shouldn't go. Like, there's just crazy stuff happening. The thing about, like,
1: Bradenton is it's very, um, everything's, like, built in the last, like, five years. So it's all, like, yeah, this generic, place is, though. Yes. And there's no, like, anything yeah, no of interest, history. really. Like, yes.
2: This used to be a swamp. Yeah, and now there's a dollar general. <laughs> exactly. It's like
1: oh Applebee's, you know, chain restaurants, right, yeah, and Not dollar like, stores. Yeah, there's it's some
2: like... there's some cool restaurants that have been there for like a hundred years. There's this one restaurant, a uh, barbecue place that my grandparents went on their first date there in nineteen thirty one. It's called Russell's. Mm-hmm. And it's still standing. So it's like I'm I I'm very nostalgic in that way. So that's that's my my favorite restaurant. Anytime I'm anywhere near there, I have to stop. You know, it's been there since nineteen twenty nine yeah that's like there's the, a lot of stuff that's like what's that.
1: cool about like living in an, a city like that even yeah. like when I was in New York it's like there's actually like oh this has been here for longer than 10 years
2: right. yeah New York's I don't like New, I my favorite thing to do in New York is leave New York mm-hmm. but there is something like the as last as fast time, as possible the last <laughs> time we yes <laughs> the, the, yes usually but the last time we ended a rally there and we actually I actually spent like a whole day there and we you know went we walked down to Times Square and it, it was pretty cool But, like, it's just, I I get claustrophobic to a lot of people, man. It's one of those things
1: where everybody wants to see it once, and then I think you're good from there. Yes. And car guys, I know I'm like this. I'm not really a a take-a-vacation type of person. Right. Like, my wife wants to go to tropical islands, and I'm like, okay, but what do I do? We're Puerto Rico. (laughs) I've always wanted to go there. What do I do? Like, she's like, oh, we can go sit on the beach. I'm like, okay, but, like... What, yeah. Yeah. what can I like, actually I can do that for participate
2: an hour. in? Yeah, yes. is there racing around here? Can I go see some cars? Like that's why I think Puerto Rico is awesome. We we had a dealer, Predator Performance, um, when I was with AMS, and they're still down there. They're, that, it's what's funny about Puerto Rico is it seems like the way sports are here, like football is here. Mm-hmm. It's like cars are their football. Like the whole island yeah. is just about cars, and, and that's fascinated me. I've yet to make it down there. It's like one of those things. I got to get down there though because. It seems like those are my people. Yeah,
1: like half, I know, like Puerto Rican half mile is a big thing, and yeah, big I mean, rotary community down there, which is awesome. It seems
2: like, I, it, from me, from what I gather, it doesn't seem like they care about sports at all. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely
1: a uh, car guy type of people because sports and ball sports usually don't interest yeah, sp- any car Go guy. Go sports ball. Exactly. <laughs> I know the sick week starts on the the same day as the uh, Super Bowl. And I don't think any of those yeah. car guys care yeah, right, at exactly. all. Like, oh <laughs> Just, no! It's a pretty entertaining thing to watch, but all right, man. Um, we're gonna wrap it up here. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate the gifts, and yeah. we even got some coasters out here oh, that's too. Right, yeah, so this like, is
2: my this is my calling card. This uh-huh. is my glow in the dark coaster. I bring everybody.
1: Yes, I won't ruin my uh, nice table here. <laughs> but thank you for coming on,
2: yeah, guys. No go
1: check him out on Instagram, Facebook, um, all the Vin Wiki stories if you want to hear more of him. But That'll do it. Thank you, guys, and we will see you next time.
0: With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway, and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky.